0: The really cool thing about time-restricted feeding is that really all you have to do is watch the clock. You don't have to count calories, you don't have to count carbs or change your pantry or anything like that.
1: Welcome to the show where we help you make smart nutrition simple. If you want proven nutrition strategies to help you build a better body and create the energy to show up for your family without overly restrictive and unrealistic dieting, then you're in the right place. Make sure to subscribe and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. I'm your host, Ben Brown, owner of BSL Nutrition, a one-on-one virtual nutrition and fitness coaching company that helps you change your belief system around what it means to be healthy through weekly guidance, accountability, and individualized support. And in today's episode, I'm sharing an interview that I did a few years ago with Dr. Krista a professor of nutrition at the University of Illinois, Chicago, and she's one of the foremost experts in intermittent fasting. Her research focuses on the efficacy of intermittent fasting for weight loss and metabolic disease reduction in people with obesity. Now, in this conversation, we talk about the different forms of intermittent fasting, including alternate day fasting, the 5-2 diet, and time-restricted feeding the nuances of each form of fasting as it pertains to meal timing, meal frequency, and macronutrient intake, and the practicality of intermittent fasting techniques and behavior change, long-term compliance, and success rates. And finally, some of the common misconceptions around intermittent fasting based on her research. This was an enlightening discussion that helped me and will hopefully help you get a deeper understanding of just how effective Intermittent fasting can be as a tool to facilitate long term, healthy, and realistic weight loss. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Krista. Krista, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the Smart Nutrition Made Simple show. How are you?
0: Oh, good. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you. So, you are one of the foremost experts in intermittent fasting. Um, you've been doing this research for what, about 15 years now?
0: Yeah, that's right, about 15 years.
1: I'm curious, what prompted you to get into uh, intermittent fasting in a time when it probably wasn't being, it, no one knew what it was?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, well, I was actually originally, I was doing a, a postdoc at UC Berkeley, and I originally wanted to study daily calorie restriction. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just kind of interested in dietary interventions for weight management. And obviously back then in like the mid 2000s, daily calorie restriction was a pretty big deal. I guess it still is. And then so we're running some trials uh, as well as in my PhD of daily calorie restriction. And I noticed that people really struggled with that diet. Mm -hmm. People got really sick of like recording their calories every day. They just got really like burnt out probably about after probably about a month or so. So then I thought, well, do people really have to diet every day to lose weight? Or potentially, can they diet every other day and still see the same amount of weight loss? So then um, my supervisor at the time and I, um, yeah, we basically decided to test out this alternate day fasting in, uh, in human subjects to see if people kind of greatly reduce their calories every other day, if that would produce the same amount of weight loss or potentially even more weight loss than a daily restriction regimen.
1: And so from the research you ran with that, what, what did the findings show?
0: Uh, so that was, yeah, one of our, our first, or I think, yeah, one of, no, it was the first study of uh, kind of fasting for weight loss. And we saw that it, it actually worked. But to be honest with you, before I started, like before we started the study, I was a little worried that it wouldn't work just because, you know, it's asking a lot of people. Like, so alternate day fasting, just to kind of back up a bit, involves basically a fast day where someone consumes 500 calories as either a lunch or a dinner. And then that's alternated with something we call a feast day. And that's Mm. when people can truly just kind of eat whatever they want. Uh, We do give people dietary counseling to try to eat healthier, like less processed foods and stuff like that. But um, the nice benefit of the diet is that you really get like every other day to just feel normal, eat normally and socialize with people and not have to worry about dieting. So yeah, on paper, I thought, well, this, you know, people are going to love this because they get every other day off dieting. Right. And then at the same time, I was like, is it really realistic to ask someone who probably eats like two to 3,000 calories a day to drop their calories to 500 calories every other day? So I was pretty worried that people would just like drop out right away. But um, we actually found that people over two months could stick to the diet on 90% of the, the fast days and they lost what was the range in that first study they lost i think 10 to 30 pounds in that one so i think it was an average of 6% 5 or 6% weight loss over 2 months so yeah that's right on par with what you'd see with like daily calorie restriction
1: okay so if the two were compared head to head it would be equivalent but the beauty in that is they get a little more freedom or at least exactly. the ability to eat more on certain days and restrict a little bit more you know that downside is then they have to conversely restrict a little bit more in those other days.
0: That's right, yeah. And then um, the diet, it works pretty well for most people. We find that the people that tend to drop out of the study are um, frequent snackers. So if someone needs to eat like every two to three hours, they tend to not do so well with uh, alternate day fasting. So yeah, that's kind of what we learned so far in terms of like who can do the diet or not.
1: And not to get too... Far down the rabbit hole with the alternate day fasting because obviously I want to talk about different forms of intermittent fasting and time restricted feeding. But within the alternate day fasting, have you played around with a variance in macronutrient ratios within the uh, at least the the fasting days versus uh, and the feasting days, or just the fasting days? Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, we have. So we recently, just I believe it was actually just a couple of days ago, published a study. It finally came out. Where we combined alternate day fasting with a low carbohydrate diet because, you know, low carbohydrate diets have been shown to kind of boost weight loss. So we wondered if we could see a little bit more weight loss with alternate day fasting if we added on that low carb component. And we found that it it did actually boost weight loss a little bit. So it was a six month study in uh, obese men and women. And typically, over six months, people lose maybe like five to six percent. And then uh, with the low carb component, they lost uh, close to 8% of body weight. So it did boost it a little bit. Uh, we're hoping for more, but, um, but that, that's our main finding for that.
1: And when you say weight loss, was there a change in, in lean muscle mass or was it fat mass? Uh,
0: yeah. So in, in most of our, well, with daily calorie restriction or a typical weight loss diet, most people will lose about 75% of their weight as fat mass and about mm-hmm. 25% as lean mass if they're not like exercising. Right. And so with that study, we did see a preservation of lean mass, but that's probably because they were also consuming a pretty high protein diet at the same time. So it was low carb, high protein, which it usually is if it's low carb. Um, so I think it was about, what was it? 30, on average, it was about 35% protein. Um, okay. So they did preserve lean mass there. In fact, I believe it went up a little bit.
1: So if it's 35% protein, what, what specifically was the ratio of carbohydrate for, to be considered low carb?
0: We actually, so the study I have to mention was funded by Nestle. So we use these like low carb, high protein shakes from Nestle. So we okay. kind of had to just like go by that macronutrient. Um, and it was less than, what was it? It was 30% carbohydrates. So that's so not, not super low yeah. carb. But um, on the fast day, they were still consuming, it was around 50 grams of carbs on the fast day. So it, was, you know, it wasn't below like the 20 grams, the, the very low carbohydrate diets, but it was still definitely ketogenic on the, on the fast days.
1: To be 30% carbs on non-fasting days, that seems like a pretty decent, Chunk of carbs, you know. Certainly, relative to the average American diet, it may be low, but um, it seems pretty reasonable. So that's that's really interesting. Now, how did your uh, research sort of evolve into different forms of of intermittent fasting? And I'd love for you to talk about kind of what the different forms are, and maybe kind of just give us a definition of exactly what is intermittent fasting.
0: Oh, yeah, sure. So intermittent fasting really just means a period of eating followed by a period of fasting. It's a a pretty simple concept. So what really confuses people is basically just all the terminology out there. So intermittent fasting is an umbrella term for three different diets. The first one uh, is alternate day fasting. So again, that's like 500 calories every other day. Uh, And then with that feast day in between, and that just literally flip-flops like that indefinitely. So feast day, fast day, feast day, fast day. And then the second kind is the 5-2 diet. So that's a diet that's really popular in the UK right now. Mm. And that's kind of a spin off of alternate day fasting, which involves just two fast days per week. So if someone's kind of struggling to squeeze in all those fast days, there's the option of just basically having two 500-calorie days per week and then five feast days per week.
1: Are those back to back or, or uh, different altering days, alternating days?
0: Like non-consecutive. You yeah. can choose. So most of the research in that area has done it consecutive days, okay. but, um, most people choose to do it like on a Monday or Wednesday. Having a fast day on a weekend is really difficult. For yeah, it wouldn't people, be very realistic. Like, most people, <laughs> yeah, even with alternate day fasting, I find a lot of people say like, you know what, I had a fast day on a Saturday, but I just couldn't hack it. So yeah. most people try to stick to like Monday, Wednesday, Friday or something. That makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. And then the kind of newer form of intermittent fasting, the third kind is time-restricted feeding. And that's when people eat within a certain window of time each day. So a really popular version of that is sixteen eight. So that mm. would be when people eat within like an eight hour window each day and you can pick the window of time. A lot of people, like whenever I give talks, they come up to me after and they're like, oh yeah, I've been doing time restricted feeding forever. And I like to do like 12 to eight. I find most people just kind of pick 12 to eight because they find it easiest with their schedule. Um, skipping dinner is really hard for people because, yeah. you know, just like eating with family and stuff like that or. I don't know, there's people that will like make dinner and then like have to skip it and just watch their family eat it. So (laughs) if they're like following something else, which, you know, long term, that seems pretty tricky. And then there's other forms of time-restricted feeding too. Uh, We did a study of eight-hour time-restricted feeding. uh, And then we're just about to publish a study for four-hour and six-hour time-restricted feeding. And and that's all for like weight loss. The really cool thing about time-restricted feeding is that Really, all you have to do is watch the clock. You don't have to count calories. You don't have to count carbs or change your pantry or anything like that. You really just kind of set a time that you're going to eat every day. So let's say in our studies for the eight-hour one, we have people do 10 to Mm 6. And uh, and the rest of the time, so after 6 p.m. and up to 10 a.m. the next morning, people just consume water or like non- like caloric beverages, like black coffee or black tea, we do allow in our studies like one or two diet sodas, but we try to limit those because those can increase um, sugar craving a bit.
1: So, just to clarify, because I think this is one of the most fascinating things about time restricted feeding is when you're comparing time restricted feeding, it's it's not necessarily caloric restriction. So, so in other words, if you're taking an eight hour eating window or a six-hour eating window, and you're comparing that to someone that eats over a course of 12 hours, all calories being equal, the the time-restricted feeding group will have equivalent uh, or better weight loss.
0: Okay. So just to back up again, there are, I I do like weight management trials. And um, there's only, it's funny because time-restricted feeding right now is so popular, but people don't understand that there's only like four or five human studies of time-restricted feeding out there. So there's like a hundred diet books on it, but they're all based on like, well, probably nothing. But, uh, you know, there's really only four studies out there. So human human trials. Yeah, Sorry, human trials. There's tons of animal data. But unfortunately, we're not with intermittent fasting. It's really hard to reproduce what we see in animals and humans in general. So in our eight-hour time-restricted feeding study, which was published a couple of years ago, like I think one of the coolest things that we found was not only that people lost weight, but they lost weight because restricting their time to just eight hours per day made them unintentionally cut 300 calories yeah. out of their okay. diet. So it is, it is like another way of fooling the body into eating less. And then with our four-hour and six-hour windows that we, a study that we just finished, Uh, we found that that actually makes people cut about 600 calories out of their diet. So I think a lot of people ask me like, oh, why, you know, what's the magic of it? And I really think it's just calorie cutting. But I think you're you're referring to, there was a study published by Courtney Peterson,
1: like about Mm -hmm. a year
0: or two ago, and then they looked at early time restricted feeding. And they fed everyone. It was a small study, but they like fed everyone. So they made sure that they weren't losing any weight. And um, in that study, they, they still saw the improvements despite no weight loss. So they saw like, de- improved insulin sensitivity, decreased blood pressure, um, and a couple different other metabolic disease risks. So, so yeah, it may actually work without weight loss as well, which is a really cool aspect of the diet.
1: Moving beyond weight loss, what are we seeing as the benefits of some of these forms of intermittent fasting, specifically time-restricted feeding in terms of Glucose metabolism, insulin regulation, you know, lipid management, uh, and so on.
0: I think there was like one or two other studies where they tested it in athletes, like resistance-trained people, and then they saw the same thing where it's basically it helps reduce insulin resistance, so that can help people uh, basically lower their chance of developing type two diabetes, um, and then it also helps to lower insulin levels as well. But the diets tend to not have any effect on them. Glucose, but I should say that most of these people were healthy or pre-diabetics. So glucose is still pretty well, well regulated there. But I think I really think that a lot of it, if it's just like a free living person, because the studies I just mentioned, they all fed the people. So it's it was like a really kind of contrived thing where it's like, you know, you don't day to day you're not like fed so you don't lose weight. But if you give these diets to people in a real world setting like we have in our studies, People do lose weight and it's because of the calorie restriction, in my opinion. I just, I really don't think there's anything that magical about the diets. I think it's really just, again, another way of like getting people
1: to eat less. Hey friends, quick pause in this episode for an exciting announcement. I'm thrilled to let you know that we've officially partnered with Fullscript to create our own very high-end quality supplement store fullscript is the number one online dispensary for professional grade supplements and while we do have our own small retail shop for our complete essentials training formula we're often asked for recommendations when it comes to products outside of those that we carry now as you probably have realized the internet is the wild west when it comes to supplements and it's tough to find many of the best products from a reliable source and at an affordable price I've heard many stories of people ordering something off Amazon and receive something completely different in the bottle, which can actually be quite dangerous when it comes to nutritional supplements. And so in the BSL Nutrition Full Script dispensary, we've hand-selected a few dozen of our personal favorites, and we've broken them into easily searchable categories, including Ben's favorites. Now, the best part of this situation is that due to the buying power of groups, we're able to get you a 15% off retail pricing on the entire catalog of professional products in our shop these are brands like designs for health biotics research biobotanical research microbiome labs seeking health and more so just click on the join bsl nutrition supplement shop in the show notes to create your free account and place your first order orders over 50 dollars receive free shipping on top of our 15 percent discount on everything and just so you know the criteria we use to determine what went into the shop is, is the product something we would recommend and or take ourselves and give to our kids? Is the product of the highest quality? And can we provide a lower cost than is available anywhere else on? Now, we sincerely hope this helps you save money and acquire the highest quality products for you and your family. And let's get back to the show. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So it's almost, it's just by virtue of the rules in place of like you're, you know, you only have an eight hour window or that's what we're suggesting or a six hour window. There's only so many calories that someone's really willing or wanting to eat within exactly. that time frame, And especially when we're talking about, if I sort of give you the guidelines of try and stop eating before seven or 8 PM, well, you know that the majority of the American population consumes most of their calories between what, 5 and 10 p.m.? So yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. If you, if you cut so... that in
1: half, obviously you're going to be restricting your calories. Exactly. That's really interesting. So what about some of the research suggesting, and I don't know how much there is, about the kind of timing of eating relative to our circadian rhythms and what our bodies sort of naturally supposed to eat when it, when, you know, hormones are highest and versus when we sleep and digest and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah. So the main thing that just with, um, kind of timing of eating that seems to be that we've kind of learned over the past couple of decades is that people are a lot more insulin sensitive in the morning. So that means that they can like process blood sugar or just put away sugar a lot Mm -hmm. more easily in the morning. And then kind of as the day progresses, people's insulin sensitivity tends to go down. So in general, kind of a a take-home message from this is that it would probably be better if you're doing time-restricted feeding to like consume most of those calories in the morning. So once you wake up and then, you know, so if you're doing an eight-hour one, maybe you could do like eight to four or seven to three or something, you know, and then maybe that would help you like regulate your glucose levels better it's still that still hasn't been tested, uh, just in terms of like early versus late time Mm -hmm. again, because like the area is so new. But yeah, it's definitely kind of an important question that has to be asked. I just don't think I don't know with my studies. I'm not really like a mechanisms person. I'm more of like a feasibility. Like I'm always just looking for new ways of to like manipulate dietary patterns to help people like control their calorie intake. So that's really why I'm interested in like, Intermittent fasting is mainly for like weight management and um, just prevention of like metabolic diseases like heart disease and diabetes. And I just don't think realistically, I just don't think people are going to eat from seven to three. Like it's really, really hard. Like maybe if they're, I don't know, if they're shift workers of some sort, like maybe, well, actually, no, then that would totally mess up their circadian rhythms. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> I, don't, I just, I don't know. Whenever we did like a meal timing study with alternate day fasting, because we had a lot of questions with that where people were like, well, where do I place those 500 calories? So, you know, should I, we would always tell people to have that meal as a lunch. Um, And the only reason we originally said that was just to standardize it between subjects. Um, And I just thought, you know, going into this since there was barely any research before it would just be easier for people to kind of break up their work day with a meal, because you know, personally, it would be really hard for me to like not eat anything until like six or seven PM at night, like when I would have like dinner with my family or something. But um, when we ran this meal timing study, we compared basically consuming that meal that 500 calories as either a lunch, dinner, or a small meals throughout the day, and we found that it didn't really impact weight loss at all. People could kind of do it whenever. But um, just kind of like anecdotally, all the subjects in like the dinner time group were way happier. They thought it was way easier to do. We had a lot of complaints about like feasibility in the, uh, the lunchtime group. And then even in the small meals group, we made them consume like 100 calories kind of spread throughout the day. And they thought that that was actually pretty brutal. Cause like when you're hungry and if you only get to eat hundred calories, it's kind of like an insult, like a slap. <laughs>
1: yeah, up. definitely. But,
0: um, so we found out that that was not a very popular form. So sure. Time restricted feeding is probably best for you if you consume most of your calories before 3 PM. So a lot of the meal timing studies are showing that, but like are Americans really going to do that? Probably not.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. So you know, in theory is that could be most beneficial, but how much more beneficial is it going to be if you can't really stick to it in terms of saying, yeah, you know, should you go between seven or eight and two or 3 p.m. But right. What person's lifestyle is going to allow them to realistically do that? Certainly exactly. no one with a family or kids or, yeah. <laughs> so, you know I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and again, it's just that like, So many social things happen at night, you know, most like parties or social events or, you know, just like a lot of those things happen in the evenings or around dinner time. So, you know, realistically, I don't think we can ask people to have this like morning lifestyle of eating.
1: Nonetheless, you, would you suggest based on your research that it would be beneficial for people to curb their evening eating patterns to a certain point?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the things you mentioned before is that people eat a lot of their food after, I think it's like 5 or 6 p.m. And I think you're probably referencing there's a study by Gill and Panda um, Mm -hmm. that came out in Cell Metabolism, I think like four or five years ago. And it was such a fascinating study. They were looking at basically like when people ate during the day. And um, the the cool thing in that is that they, they found out that there's no like set meals. Like people don't eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. People are basically always eating. (laughs) <laughs> There's like these really cool diagrams just showing that people are just like constantly consuming something <laughs> right. like every hour or so. But then one of the cool things for that study as well is that they found out that people were consuming, I can't remember the exact percentage, but I think you're right, like more than half their calories past like 5 p.m. or something. So it, uh yeah, it's just, it's kind of amazing. Um, you know, we're really kind of like an evening, Americans consume so much in the evening. So. That's
1: certainly what I've observed. I don't know what the research says, but that's certainly what I've observed just in clinical practice over the years. Yeah. Uh, and, and so obviously that makes sense to like, okay, well, what can we do? And that's why the beauty of some of these intermittent fasting techniques is instead of saying, don't eat this, that, or the other, simply giving a somewhat of a rule of saying, can you stop eating by 8 p.m.? In which case, you don't even tell them what they can't do per se. It's just, you know, you're giving them the guidelines of, okay, and, and that can help manage calorie intake.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I was studying alternate day fasting for a while, but now I definitely want to move into time-restricted feeding because it seems, it honestly just seems the easiest for people we, uh, we always give people exit surveys. Um, so with alternate day fasting, we only find that like 20% of people still want to continue the diet after. Whereas with our time restricted feeding studies, it's more like 80 or 90% of people say that they'll continue doing this because they just find it like easy. And the more most important thing, like, as like clinicians, and you know, just people in in the health industry, like we just have to realize like, people just need to do something that they can incorporate into their lifestyle. And that's probably something that really closely mimics what they're already doing. So I always say like, you know, intermittent fasting is not for everyone. It's not like the, the be all end all diet. It's not better than calorie restriction. We published a study in JAMA showing that it basically produces the same amount of weight loss over a year. But, um, yeah, it's just people should do kind of something that's similar to what their normal dietary pattern is. So if you eat a lot yeah. of like meat and vegetables, then maybe low carbs is good for you. If you really love recording stuff on your phone, then yeah, maybe daily calorie restriction is good for you. But don't try to like squeeze yourself into like this new pattern of eating cuz sure, you might be able to lose some weight over like 2 or 3 months, but then, you know, you're probably not going to do it long term and then you're just going to gain all the weight back. So just, yeah, try to find, there's so many different diet options out there. Try to find something that closely resembles what you're already doing, but helps you control yourself a little bit more. And then hopefully that will work for you long-term.
1: Yeah, because we know it's all about calorie control. And this is often a way that I work with clients to help them manage their calories ultimately is saying, okay, well, if we need to reduce our calories by 10 or 20%, what if we simply just pushed back your eating window or pushed forward your eating window a couple hours? And yeah, that's great. It seems to work really well. Now, within that, um, and not to get too myopic, but within the eating window, you had mentioned that people tend to be more insulin sensitive earlier on in the day. So, theoretically, it could make sense. On, and you tell me if there's something to back this up to kind of front load your uh, carbs earlier on in the day versus you know, later on.
0: Oh, if there's any studies for that? There, there might be. I, I'm, not, I'm actually not, not aware of that, but it would make sense mechanistically, like just, you know, because mm-hmm. you're more insulin sensitive. So you could put that the, the sugar away, basically. But yeah, I'm not actually aware of studies that uh, have tested that out. I think like in this area, I think the major thing we need to do is really kind of compare what Courtney Peterson did the early time restricted feeding to kind of what we're doing where so in our studies, we usually have people consume it, I, I was telling you, like 10 to, uh, 10 to six. And then in our four hour and six hour version of the diet, we actually had them consume them in the afternoon. So for four hours, it was between, um, what was it? It was one and five. And then Mm -hmm. for the other one, I think it was something like one to seven. So it was all in the afternoon, just so they could have like kind of like a dinner with their families but we really need to compare the early versus the late, like head to head to see if there's like any benefits of the early one.
1: Yeah. I mean, especially related to some of the physiological benefits and and that kind of goes back to some of the circadian biology of are we positively influencing 24 hour glucose metabolism, cortisol patterns, and, and then maybe even, you know, looking into, um, some of the benefits of, uh, you know, kind of ketogenic aspects of like BDNF or autophagy
0: mm-hmm. um, or
1: Well autophagy
0: It's so funny because pe- people are always asking they're like oh intermittent fasting so great because it like Increases autophagy, but what people don't seem to understand is that that's never been tested in humans Like we have no ability to test that in humans yet. So we've seen that in like yeast and worms I'm not even hmm. sure if it's been shown in like rodent models Um, so nothing even like close to, to humans. And then, you know, I, I hope it's like one of the mechanisms. Oh, to kind of explain what it is. So autophagy is when, um, literally means like self eating. So it's thought that with fasting, fasting is, uh, potentially beneficial because it gives your body a break from just constantly being bombarded with nutrients. And then when it has that time to like, kind of not be processing nutrients, it has time to kind of look inward on itself and just kind of look at what cell components are not working that well anymore. So it literally kind of just eats them up or like destroys them. So that's what autophagy is. But um, again, it's a beautiful mechanism on paper, but it's never, ever been shown in humans. And it's, there's so many, I see like all these blogs and people talking about like, oh, I'm going to, I need to do this to like increase my autophagy. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. But, you know, hopefully somebody will show it soon because it, it would make a lot of sense.
1: You know, that's so interesting. So on that same vein, are there any other misconceptions about intermittent fasting that you're constantly hearing that might be worth addressing?
0: Uh, I would just say at this point, a lot of the, the things that people are talking about in blogs and stuff are just a little too ahead of its time, Mm -hmm. you know, for in general, for intermittent fasting, I think in total there's maybe 25 like studies out there and that includes time restricted feeding in humans. So it's definitely something like when I started studying this, you know, 15 years ago, there was two studies and there was like basically nothing out there. So now that it's becoming more popular, there's definitely more research but um, it's really, you know, all the all these like it's just a little overblown, like what people are saying about it. It definitely works for weight loss, but it's not better than any other diet, basically. So that that's something I definitely want to clarify. Oh, that's great. Um, and another thing is like safety aspects. People often ask about that. So people are concerned that intermittent fasting gives people eating disorders. That, that's incorrect. We've um, studied this in people. Um, oh, well, one thing I should mention is that we don't recruit people with a history of eating disorders into our studies. I don't think that the diets would work well for them, particularly people with binge eating disorders. We um, made the mistake of not excluding that group of people, and those people just basically ate. They were binging during the feeding period. And then we've tested this just scientifically and found that people that didn't have a history of eating disorders, it didn't increase their like propensity to develop eating disorders. So that's um, one thing to keep in mind. And then um, just in terms, people always are worried that it kind of like messes up your metabolism. That was something that I heard all the time when I would like give talks. But uh, we, we've tested that head to head as well, fasting compared to daily calorie restriction. And the thing to remember is that when you lose weight, your body, your your metabolic rate will go down just by like 50 or 100 calories, basically in relation to to how much weight you're losing, because um, fat, basically your fat-free mass, your lean mass predicts your metabolic rate, what predicts like 85% of it. So as you lose weight, you're going to lose a little bit of that if you're not doing like heavy resistance training. And then as that goes down, so does your metabolism. So when we test fasting and calorie restriction head-to-head, we find that they produce the same kind of minor decreases in metabolic rate, you know, just that you would see regularly with um, weight loss. So yeah, two kind of important safety considerations to keep in mind.
1: No, that's great. I appreciate you bringing those to light. Before I get into that last question related to intermittent fasting, could we conclude that, you know, the physiological benefits of intermittent fasting are the same benefits that someone would gain simply by losing weight in terms of better glucose control, better insulin management, possibly improved lipid function, um, and so on and so forth. Is that fair?
0: I I think so. I think, you know, if you talk to some other scientists in the field, they may disagree with that. But from what I've seen and from the studies, we've run like thousands of people through different studies at this point. And yeah, my general conclusion is that it's because of weight loss that we're seeing like the reductions in blood pressure and cholesterol levels and improvements in insulin sensitivity.
1: All in all, this is really just a kind of fancy, nuanced way of helping people. Control their calories on a daily basis. Obviously, and, and the beauty of the varying ways of doing it is someone can find a way that really works best for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just find something you can stick to long term. Maybe, you know, it might not be intermittent fasting, but find something that works for you that you can incorporate into your lifestyle. And, you know, it'd be great if it was intermittent fasting. But again, if you're a frequent snacker, you know, it's probably, it's probably not for you.
1: You know, is there any advice that. You would offer based on your years of experience regarding intermittent fasting for both weight loss and improved health. um, What would that advice be? Just you know, generally speaking. um,
0: Practical, yeah. So the main thing I I always want to point out is the first ten days of these diets is pretty tough. So we get like most of our dropouts happen in the first ten days. It's just hard to either adjust to that up-down pattern of eating or like confining the kind of window of eating is pretty tricky. So a lot of people get um, headaches in the first 10 days. Uh, They also feel like fairly irritable, but then that tends to kind of disappear after about a week and a half. And the headaches occur because people aren't drinking enough water. It's basically because of dehydration. Um, Because, you know, if you're eating less food, you don't realize you're also consuming less water because there's a lot of water in food. Um, So yeah, make sure you keep your water intake up on those days. Try to drink as much water as you can. Um, and then, yeah, you can uh, avoid those headaches, but those are, that's one important thing. Um, another thing is if you want to try alternate day fasting, try to consume, um, a fair amount of protein on the fast days. So we usually ask people to try to consume uh, 50 grams of protein. So have like, you know, like a salad with a lot of like either meat or like beans or something in there, or you can make yourself like a high protein shake, something like that. And then that basically helps stave off hunger because you can get pretty hungry on the fast day. Um, so yeah, higher protein would help with that.
1: That's awesome. So that's like 40% of their calories from protein on those fast days. And that's to right, clarify, yeah. y- you know, you mentioned the feast day, you're basically recommending, and, and maybe this would be a good time to talk about your book, The Every Other Day Diet.
0: Uh, yeah, so and then on the feast days, We, well, technically you can do whatever you want, but when we run our studies, we always give people kind of like one on one personalized dietary counseling throughout the studies to try to get them to increase their fruit and vegetable intake, lower their processed food intake, that type of thing. Um, I have to say, though, sadly, it basically never works. Um, It's really, really hard for people to change kind of like the types of foods they eat, but of course, you know, eating better, like, diet quality can help with like long-term disease risk, uh, reduction. So that that's pretty important. But, um, a question I often get is like, well, what happens if I'm, if I'm consuming 500 calories every other day and it's like not high quality food, will I still lose weight? And I'm like, well, technically yes, but yeah. you know, you should, yeah, it's really calories in calories right. out in my opinion. But, um, you know, so they're like, can I just eat McDonald's? And I'm like, yeah, but I wouldn't recommend that because it's definitely not good for your body long-term. But yeah, you would actually still lose the weight. So, you know, kind of another thing to consider.
1: But what you've observed is that on fasting days, people tend to not go off the rails. Like they'll still eat crappy foods, you know, which would be normal for their dietary behaviors. But within that is they're not binging per se.
0: No, no. They um, Most people – so the longest study we've run is up to a year. And people, they do – at the beginning, like the first two months or so, people are pretty good at sticking to the 500 calories. They'll eat five or 600 calories. But when you get to month eight or nine and they're trying to still do this, then they're going to be consuming probably closer to like 800. So it's 800 or even like a thousand. So they're not totally binging, but it, it is hard for people to maintain that long term. Yeah. Um, the cool thing, the other thing I should point out is um, people don't binge on the feast day. So when, when I started running this, I was really scared that, you know, if you're having 500 calories one day, well, what are you going to do the next day in response mm-hmm. to that? And we find again, over like hundreds and hundreds of people that people only eat about 10% more than what they usually do on the feast days. So it does not result in like binging at all. People actually find that they get like fuller faster on these diets. They feel like more in control of their appetite as well. So that that's another benefit.
1: Great. Well, it's been super helpful. Thank you very much for clarifying all of this and and taking the time to educate our listeners and myself included. So Tell us just uh, quickly about your book.
0: Oh, sure. So uh, I published a book on, this is, uh, it's only on alternate day fasting. Uh, It's called The Every Other Day Diet. It's available on Amazon.
1: Beautiful. (laughs) Krista, (laughs) thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And and I'm really grateful for everything that you're doing in our field, nutrition field, and uh, bringing all of this information to light. So continue the great work. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, great. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One, grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. Three, subscribe to my YouTube channel at smartnutritionmadesimpletv.com for leave a five-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple.